you. Thank you. Okay. Morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. Let me just quickly pray. Jesus, just ask that you'd visit us, that you'd meet with us this morning, and that we would leave in some way changed. In your name, amen. Right. We're continuing our series then looking at the life and story of Gideon in the book of Judges. Uh, Previously, we looked at how the angel of the Lord stays with Gideon after he appears to him underneath the tree as he's in uh, pressing out the grapes for the wine. And then how once Gideon prepares the meal for him, the Lord consumes it in the fire Uh, and then vanishes as a confirming sign of Gideon's encounter with the living God. Gideon is in fear of his life, if you remember, and we looked at the idea of fear and how we balance fear with peace, and then how he's immediately reassured that he will give Gideon peace. And so Gideon builds an altar to recognise and remember that God is a God of peace and he's our God of peace and we can have peace in him as well. So we're continuing our journey with Gideon and we're just going to be reading from Judges chapter 6 verses 25 to 35. But I'm just going to read the first couple of verses, that's chapter 6 verses 25 to 27. So it says this, That same night, the Lord said to him, that's Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. But because Gideon was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So just to make a quick note at this point before we read the rest of the story, just to say that as we've looked, even though Gideon received his commission to be a mighty man of God, received his calling to defeat the Midianites and the Amalekites, reassurance that God would be with him throughout all of this, and even a sign with the inflamed consumption of the meal and the vanishing of the angel, Gideon is still battling with fear. He's still being crippled with fear and being afraid of all that he has to step out into and do on behalf of the Lord. He needs something or rather someone else, as we'll come on to see. And as we're learning of our commission and call as a church into this new season, 
and even enjoying some reassurances and some signs of all that God's doing amongst us and thinking of Mike and Jane and how they've been opening up the building throughout the week to invite people in, have a chat with them, or Josh and Claire Gardner and how they want to make it a more of a regular thing to again open up the building, have some cakes, teas, coffees, welcome people in, tell them who we are as a church and what we're about. Even though we've been enjoying some of those things as well as what's been going on inside the church as our activity as the church people, there's still fear that we can experience. There's still a battle of fear that we have to fight against lest we be crippled by it, lest we be disabled by it. So to help us in any remnants of fear we have, we need something or someone to enable us and to help us overcome it and fight through it. So let's just continue with the passage of scripture then and see what or who rather that is. So verses 28 to 35, the rest of the chapter. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring your son out. He must die because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. Gideon was commissioned, called, reassured and empowered by God. The spirit of the Lord clothed him. He came upon him. Uh, and that phrase is synonymous with different ways of saying it that maybe you and I might be more used to. Being filled with the spirit, having the spirit come upon you, the, the spirit falling on you, the spirit baptizing you. It's all trying to basically say one thing, the spirit doing a work in you and through you. Okay. So Gideon was clothed with the spirit of the Lord. He had a task to do where he faced confrontation, which was the impending war. And so he was equipped to complete the task with the empowerment of God's 
Holy Spirit. We too are equipped with the Spirit in the church today. If you're a Christian, then you have the Spirit within you and also opportunity to receive fuller and greater equipping and empowering of the Spirit for the tasks the Lord has called you to do as an individual in your own life, but importantly, as the church and the mission we've been called to take part in together. So we're equipped with the Spirit. We're not left to try and make things happen by ourselves. Gideon wasn't left alone to try and work all this out by himself. The angel of the Lord didn't say, Gideon, you're this, I've called you to do that. Now go and try and make it happen. See what you can do with your intellect, with your skills. Although those played a part, the Lord said over and above that, you will receive my spirit. I will empower you and clothe you with my ability, with my might, with my strength, and you will be successful. And it's no different for us today. The Holy Spirit empowerment is greater ultimately than any system or any structure we could put in place. Those are good things. We need those things. We need structure. We need systems. But more than that, it all falls apart unless we have the Spirit empowering us through it all. Programs and PowerPoints are good and they might be helpful. They might give us a little bit of an edge and equip us, but ultimately the greatest equipping comes from power. So the spirit greater than systems and structures, power greater than programs and PowerPoints or whatever. It's the spirit we want to see help us do and accomplish the task we've been given. So let's just very, very quickly, very briefly, look at how the Spirit has worked through the story of Scripture, starting with the Old Testament and ending, or rather continuing now, in the New Testament, which are the times we currently live in too. So during the times of the Old Testament, the Spirit would indeed come upon people, but only certain individuals. If you were the lucky one, as it were, the Spirit may come upon you as a specific individual, but only for a certain task to do. Then, if I can say it plainly, he'd go away, as it were. The Spirit would come, he would equip that particular person for that specific task, the task would be completed, and the Spirit would depart, and the person would continue on with their normal life. It was only periodically that a person was empowered and that person would usually be a king of Israel. So think of David when he was inspired by the Spirit to write the scriptures we know and love today. Um, a prophet, perhaps like Ezekiel, when he was filled with the Spirit and he prophesied and directed the nation to what God was saying. It could have been a priest Think of Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest who operated in the temple, doing his work, doing his service, but he did it in a way that honoured the Lord because he was filled with his spirit. Or perhaps a leader of some kind. And obviously that could be Gideon. But as another example, again in the book of Judges, think of Samson. 
Samson had the Holy Spirit come on him so that he accomplished great feats like defeating the Philistines, defeating the lion, etc., breaking the city gates apart. There were tasks to be done, people were chosen by the Spirit, and they were equipped to fulfill them. So that was the Old Testament, very briefly. So the Spirit's work in the New Testament, and the New Testament, by the way, isn't just this part, like we're outside of that time, we're in it now. We're New Testament, New Covenant Christians. Nothing's changed. We're living in the same time to expect the same things to happen today, like we read of Paul, Peter, John, the other apostles. So after Christ was killed, raised up and ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he rules and reigns now, a new era began, the new covenant in Jesus' blood. The law has passed. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace because of Jesus' blood that if we believe in him, we're covered by. And then so we have his spirit in us, which means we can step out and do what he's calling us to do effectively, fruitfully. We can see success with, with the spirit in us. So whereas he filled certain individuals before, he now clothes all people with himself. Whereas he fell on folks for a one-off task, now he empowers us all with unique gifts to serve for a common mission. So he clothes all people with unique gifts for a common mission. So that's spreading the gospel, I'm saying these generally because there's different outworkings of this, but ultimately it's to spread the gospel, it's to advance the kingdom, and it's to build the church. Spread the gospel, advance the kingdom, build the church. So the prophet Joel prophesied that a time would come when the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh. Men and women young and old, black and white, rich and poor, conservatives or liberals, our own countrymen or people from other nations, etc. No favoritism, no partiality. The spirit is available to everyone and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and receives him and welcomes him. Right, so what happened then when the Spirit came upon Gideon. Let's have a look. Let's see what the scriptures say happened. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, or came upon him, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. The Spirit came on Gideon and he acted. He did something. There was a response from him to do an action. He sounded the trumpet and he rallied the troops ready for the war, which we'll hear about in a couple of messages' times. He was ready for war. My pastor when I was growing up as a young adult, before moving off to Bible college, he would always helpfully say, Jonathan, it's not what happens when you hit the floor, it's what happens when you get up from the floor. So I was part of a church where that would happen quite regularly, which was a blessing, receiving the spirit, 
welcoming him, inviting him to come, and he would do things in people's lives, and he would do things to people as a sign, as a demonstration that he was doing stuff. And sometimes, I'm sure for a lot of us, we can think of some classic examples, some good, right and true and proper examples that we love to experience today in this church as well, whether that's falling over, it could be trembling, it could be lifting up our hands, whatever it might be. What my pastor back then was saying was, that's great, and that's good, and we welcome that, but what's the person like when they leave that service? What's the person like when they go back to their day job at their office desk? What's the mum like when she looks after the kids at daycare the next day? What's the student like when he, goes, when he or she goes to lectures or hangs out in the dormitories at night? That is great that that happened on a Sunday service. Bring it on. But what's that person like afterwards? You know, following? Holy Spirit empowerment equips us for action. Nate, come up, my friend. Oh, man, sorry, I'm running out of uh, steam here. Right. Okay, turn around for me, sir. Okay, so here's Nathaniel. So, hi, Nathaniel. <laughs> uh, so here's Nathaniel, living his normal life, okay? Enjoying Jesus, worshipping him, glorifying him living for him as a disciple, and Nathaniel wants to receive something more of the Holy Spirit to be more equipped by him to be... <laughs> dressing gown of power, we'll get to it. Nate wants to be more equipped, he wants to be better used, he wants to be fruitful, he's hungry and thirsty for more of Jesus, so he gets before him, he please, well, not please necessarily, but he comes expectantly he waits, he asks the Lord, and then this is how I picture it when I read the phrase being clothed by the Spirit. This is just the example that pops to my head. I don't know why, but it is. So, Nate, lift, lift out your hands, lift out your hands, like that, like that, okay? You're expectant, my friend, okay? The Holy Spirit comes over, Nate, put your arms through. That's it. Holy Spirit comes over him. Sorry about this bit intimate here, but I'm, that's a point I'm trying to make. All right, comes over him like that, all right? Wraps him around, and you, my friend, are clothed with the Holy Spirit, okay? You are covered by the Holy Spirit. Obviously, I can't stretch the analogy too far because you can see the rest of him, but let's just pretend it goes all the way down. You can't see what was on Nathaniel before. You couldn't see what he was like before. He's totally covered, he's totally overcome, he's totally overwhelmed by the Spirit, okay? He is different. He looks different and he behaves different. That was it, Nathaniel, thank you, you can take it off. But keep the real thing, yeah? yeah. Okay, now the analogy doesn't go too far, unfortunately, because I was thinking about this. The robe analogy only goes a little bit because Holy Spirit empowerment doesn't make us comfortable. The robe is something we put on when we want to be cozy and comfortable. We want to lie down on our sofa, stick on a film, be at home, eat some popcorn, which Kerry and I did the other night. It was lovely, a bit too buttery though, but it was comfortable. Put your socks on. The Holy Spirit wants to clothe us more like with armour. The Holy Spirit wants to equip us more like with weapons. The Holy Spirit wants to equip us more like, as you know the classic verses, the belt of truth. 
the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the shoes ready with peace and the gospel, the sword of the spirit. The spirit wants to equip us not with a comfy robe, but he does want to clothe us. Rather, he wants to clothe us and cover us with warfare clothing, with weapons that we can attack the devil and the flesh with and live out Jesus's mission on earth. We want to make a difference in Worcester, don't we? We want to see people saved. We want to see lives transformed. We want to see the devil's demonic, destructive work defeated. We want to see the church making a fruitful impact. Yes? Yes. Yes. Then we need to be clothed from power from on high. To use a classic old-fashioned phrase, but it's a good one. Clothed with power from on high. Power that equips us to take courage to speak out. Power that equips us to take courage to step out. And power that equips us to use and develop whatever gifts the Lord Jesus may give us. Remember the 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. They were filled while praying and what happened? They left the room and they did something. Remember the seven servants given responsibility to serve at the tables, the, the, um, the, the widows who weren't getting their share of food and they were given the responsibility to serve those widows. They were empowered by the spirit to do that. Note as well, spirit empowerment will not always mean what we think it means in terms of outward demonstrations, front stage, front platform stuff. Those seven were empowered and they served people on tables and chairs. They gave them teas and coffees and food. That's empowerment as well. But they did something. Remember, lastly, the Lord Jesus, the best example of what it looks like to live a spirit-filled life. That's available to us today. If we read the gospel accounts, we will be struck again by how he lived and relied on the Holy Spirit. Every day relying on his leadership, his direction, what he was saying and what he was doing. And he followed through with that. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Doesn't mean we don't live our normal life and do what we have a responsibility to do. We work, we look after our family, we put our clothes away, etc. But there's an awareness. What is the Lord doing that I'm not aware of? That I need ears to hear and eyes to see, as Jesus also said. Christ has generously poured out his spirit on the church. He had to be betrayed, crucified, buried, resurrected and ascended. So in his earthly absence, he could send the spirit to be with us and in us. It had to happen to Jesus, whether we like it or not, as much as we love him, because he could then send the spirit to come and take up residence in us, as it were, to move into the neighborhood as Jordan, not Jordan Peterson, um, Eugene Peterson, as Eugene Peterson says in the message. A man called J.I. Packer explained it this way, that a key work of the Holy Spirit is to act like a floodlight. A floodlight casts a big light on something to expose it and to make it visible for everyone to see clearly. Like lights on a football pitch, when you're watching the game, all those 
bursting floodlights that are pointing in one direction to the pitch so you can see the action, so you can follow what's going on. You don't want to see the stands, you don't want to see the sky, you want to see where the ball is and who's playing the ball. It's all pointing to the field to highlight the action. So the spirit, like a floodlight, points to Christ and his work for us to shine a light on Jesus and to make him visible for all of us to see. If we want to be clothed with power, and my hope and prayer is that there is a growing hunger and thirst for all of us to want to be clothed with power and to work as a church on a mission with empowerment, then we need to fix and focus ourselves on Christ, who is the spirit giver. It's good to want the spirit, but you've got to go to the giver of the spirit. It's good to want water, but you've got to go to the tap to get it. It's no good wanting just the water and hoping it will just appear. We want Jesus, who's the spirit giver. That's who we want. So if we're to face whatever lies ahead of us, and I'm sure we'll have many challenges and difficulties because that's just life and that's what we're called to. But if we're to face any of these, as Gideon had to face his challenges, as Gideon had to face the impending war, battling fear, so we, like Gideon, have to be clothed with power and have the Holy Spirit come upon us, fill us, baptise us afresh in him, through the Spirit, sorry, in, in the Spirit, through Jesus. Okay. If Colin, perfect timing, actually. Are you okay to come to the front? Yeah. Uh, Parents, if you want to go get your Shining Stars kids, that would be brilliant. As Jim said, we've changed it a little bit this morning because I just felt the message warranted worship to be after the words so we could respond, so that we could wait on the Lord Jesus to see what he'll do, how he'll work through us. And as they're getting ready and as the kids are coming down, let me just say a few things here. It's helpful when we start just to do a few things that might encourage our hearts and our minds to receive whatever Jesus wants to do. Now, a lot of us here are aware of this, but sometimes it's helpful to hold out our hands because that's a sign of receiving whatever Jesus wants us to have. For some of us, we may want to kneel as a symbol of submission, again, to what the Spirit may want to do with us. Others of us may just want to sit in silence and pray to ourselves, maybe open up the words and just receive in peace. Others of us may want to walk at, at the back, obviously not too many of us because we've got to be sensible with each other. But there's different ways. Know the way that will help you as we enter into an atmosphere of worship that will open you up to receive what the Spirit may want to give you. So that could be a new gift. You could get a new gift during this time. Step out and give it a try. Ask someone, I think I want to try this out. Is it, is it okay if I try that? It could be boldness to speak about Christ and the gospel. That might not happen here, but it could happen when you go. A renewed sense of courage to share Jesus with people. It could be renewed passion to pray and worship. There's a passage in the New Testament that, where Paul the Apostle says, uh, go on being filled with the Spirit, singing songs, being grateful and submitting to one another. That's a sign of the Spirit, of the Spirit filling you, is being grateful, submitting to each other and singing songs. So let's do that together. 
And then lastly, an overflow of gratitude and thankfulness may stir you. So let's be brave. People who are sensitive to what the Spirit's doing, I know, Jim, you're like this. Let's be aware and let's just see what he might be doing amongst us. Let's be willing. Let's be open. Let's not be spectators. Let's be engagers who are expecting the Spirit to do something and looking at Jesus the whole time and loving him in his cross and his empty grave. Enough of me. Over to the Spirit and Colin and Mark. Thanks, guys. Let's stand together then.